This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. If you'd like to support the work we're doing, please visit the Contribute tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Young Turks, The David Pakman Show, a classic by Stan Freeberg, Sam Cedar on Ring of Fire, Life Noggin, Radio Dispatch, and Sam Cedar on The Majority Report. Christians who apparently have the most perfect lives and have nothing else to be concerned about are worried about Starbucks's recent holiday cups and how they don't celebrate Christmas enough. <laughs> Man, I want to live that life. I want to live that life where everything is so peachy that you're concerned about Starbucks holiday cups. Anyway, those are the cups in question. How dare they? I can't believe they would do this to Christmas. They're worried Wait, that the do? cups are too minimalist. And, you know, previous <laughs> cups had things like snowflakes and reindeer on them. Which is much more respectful of Jesus. They, by the way, Starbucks holiday cups never endorsed one particular religion over another. And by the way, Christmas colors are green and red, so I don't know what they're upset about. Okay, so you're probably wondering, <laughs> who's complaining? Like, there's no way that someone actually complained about this, but you're wrong. One person by the name of Andrea Williams, who, by the way, lives in the U.K., she says this is a denial of historical reality and the great Christian heritage behind the American dream that has so benefited Starbucks. This also denies the hope of Jesus Christ and his story so powerfully at this time of the year. <laughs> they denied the hope of Jesus Christ by not putting snowflakes on the cup and, and other things that they've put on in the past, like snowmen. Jesus lived in the Middle East. There were no snowmen. I, I don't, let alone flying reindeers. How stupid are you? But beyond the stupidity of it, let's just think about how weak you feel your religion is. That you need the endorsement of a Starbucks latte cup. It's pathetic. No, but the, you know why? Look, this group is called Christian Concern that she's uh, apparently a part of. She writes in at Breitbart, which is an insane right-wing uh, rag. Uh, and so, but the, the, you know what they're like? They're like the fundamentalist Muslims. Like, mm -hmm. oh, do not draw the Prophet Muhammad! His feelings will be hurt. He's dead. But anyway, his feelings are going to be hurt, and hence my feelings are going to be hurt. Dude, if, if you have the almighty Allah on your side, what do you care who what anybody draws? And if that's true for the offensive drawing uh, uh, picture, Allah's going to torture him forever anyway in hell. What do you care? So don't worry, Starbucks, without the snowflakes, you're going to hell. There's if more. you believe that, then why would you care? I know, there's right? more. I love, I love all of this. So this is a dude on Twitter. He's responding to the Breitbart article, which, by the way, Breitbart, really, you have nothing better to write about. You're going to write about the war on Christmas. Who are you, O'Reilly? My of Christmas mentality, if a store won't promote Christmas regarding Starbucks, I'm not spending my hard-earned money there. Well, good, good. Don't spend your money there, you loser. And then finally, this is my favorite one. Former pastor uh, Joshua Furstein claimed in a viral Facebook video that he had, quote, pranked Starbucks by simply telling them his name was Merry Christmas, thus forcing the surely unimpressed barista to write the words Merry Christmas on the cup. You are pathetic. No, that, that's so funny. The barista is not part of the war on Christmas. <laughs> he or she doesn't care. You're not pranking them. They're like, okay, dude, whatever. You want to call yourself Merry Christmas? Have at it, Hoss. They're very likely Christian. They don't care. They're not planning a war against you. But my favorite is the two tweets in response, actually. Zach Hunt tweeted in, If your way of pranking Starbucks involves buying a cup of their coffee, I'm pretty sure the joke's on you. <laughs> I love it. And Ron Burr says, If you need the coffee chain to be your ambassador of Christ, you need to reexamine your relationship with God. For real. <laughs> That's <laughs> okay. crazy. No, no. That, and finally, that's the uh, piece of projection that we talk about with conservatives all the time. What do they say about the left? They say, oh, they love to be the victims. Just pick yourself up by the bootstraps and stop looking for people that are going to give you stuff, right? Yeah. Why do you need Starbucks to tell you Merry Christmas or to put a cross on their coffee cup? Why don't you pick yourself up by the bootstraps and have a great Christmas on your own, right? The reason is you love being the victim. Fox says there's a war on Christmas, but if there is, I'll get to see it. Some people say happy holidays, but I promise you'll be okay, because sleigh bells are ringing, 
News from Donald Trump, if you believe in the war on Christmas, and I happen not to. I happen to believe that the war on the poor exists. I happen to believe that we have a uh, a number of fake wars, like the war on Christianity, the war on religion, the war on uh, 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 morality or whatever. None of those wars exist. Donald Trump, though, says he would win the war on Christmas if he were to be president. Here is a clip of Donald Trump speaking over the weekend You'll notice that he just reads polls. Part of Donald Trump's rallies now, Lewis, are just reading polls, specifically the polls that Donald Trump likes. And here he is talking about the importance of supporting Christmas. In fact, with evangelicals in Iowa just came out, I'm number one at 29, substantially ahead of anyone else. I'm happy about that. You know why? That's the reason. That's the reason. But we have to be careful as Christians. The progressives are pushing, the progressives are pushing to an extent that if we're not careful, we're going to have some big problems and even bigger than we have right now. Look, we need people that can support us. We need people that are strong and smart and can back us. The word Christmas, I love Christmas. I love Christmas. You go to stores now, you don't see the word Christmas. It says happy holidays all over. I say, where's Christmas? I tell my wife, don't go to those stores. I want to see Christmas. No, I want to see Christmas. And, you know, other people can have their holidays. No, but, but Christmas is Christmas. I want to see Merry Christmas. Remember the expression Merry Christmas? You don't see it anymore. You're going to see it if I get elected. I can tell you right now. I can tell you right now. Right. So the only problem with Donald Trump saying that he would be fighting that war on Christmas is that the war on Christmas doesn't really exist. And this, to me, strikes of just the same type of pandering to the religious right, Lewis. Donald Trump does not appear to be religious. He says the Bible's his second favorite book. For a while, he couldn't cite one Bible, Bible verse. When he finally did, that Bible verse didn't even exist. And this is that same pandering. It's starting to sound like he's pandering to the Tea Partiers now, yeah, uh, because they are big on the war on Christmas, and I, I would like to hear some of his. You know, he's, we still don't hear any specifics, right? How is he going to fight the war on Christmas? He just says he'll do a great job at it. Yeah, and he'll support stores that say "Merry Christmas" when you shop there. We started early this year, days ago. We hit some parties. We hit everyone I know of. Dad went on to a present in the fashion of a bow, yeah. And I'm trying to be in every place. And that's how we get down for the holidays. Can't say exactly when, yeah, but we'll drop by. You bring me ice cream and I'll be apple pie. I like a rainbow candy cane Call me settled in my ways, yeah I'm not trying to eat and run But I can't stay It's just how we get down for the holidays Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Mr. Scrooge. Morning, Mr. Scrooge. Morning, Mr. Scrooge. Morning, Mr. Scrooge. Ah, hug everybody. Good morning, Mr. Scrooge. Well, the meeting will come to order, if you please. Are all the advertising people represented here? Everyone except Amalgamated Cheese. Well, if they're not here for the Christmas pitch, I can't help them find new ways of tying their product into Christmas. That's why I'm chairman of this board. Uh, let's hear it for me. Here, here, here. 
All right, Abercrombie, what are your people up to? Oh, same thing as every year. 50,000 billboards showing Santa Claus pausing to refresh himself with our product. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the public has come to expect that. That's and, uh... right. It's become tradition. Fine, fine. Uh, you there, crass. Uh, I suppose your company's running the usual magazine ad showing cartons of your cigarettes peeking out of the top of Santa's sack. Uh, better than that. This year we have him smoking one. Mm-hmm. Yes. I got Santa a little more rugged, too. Both sleeves rolled up and a tattoo on each arm. One of them says, Merry Christmas. Well, what does the other one say? Less Tars. Great stuff. Uh, but, Mr. Scrooge... Well, who are you? Bob Cratchit, sir. I've got a little spice company over in East Orange, New Jersey. Uh, do I have to tie my product into Christmas? What do you mean? Well, I was just going to send cards out showing the three wise men following the Star of Bethlehem. I get it. And they're bearing your spices. No, that's perfect. No, no, uh, no. No product in it. I was just going to say, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Period. Well, that's a peculiar well, slogan. Old hat, Cratchit. That went out with button shoes. You're a businessman. Christmas is something to take advantage of. A red and green bandwagon to jump on. A sentimental shot in the arm for sales. Listen. As sure as there's an X in Christmas, you can be sure those are Tiny Tim chestnuts roasting. Tiny Tim chestnuts are full-bodied, longer-lasting. This visible shell protects the nut. Now with XK29 added for people who can't roast after every meal. Tiny Tim, Tiny Tim, chestnuts all the way. Tiny Tim's roast hot like a chestnut hot. And they are mild, 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 mild. mild. to live by, Cratchit. Oh, for you, maybe. Can't you just wish someone a Merry Christmas for the pure joy of doing it? Why? What's the percentage in that? Well, let me show you how to make Christmas work for you. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. And please buy our beer. There you go, Cratchit. That's Christmas with a purpose. I know, but wait a minute. Don't you guys make enough profit the other 11 months? Christmas comes but once a year. <laughs> Funny thing you should bring that up. That's exactly the point I was about to make. Hit it, boys. Christmas comes but once a year, so you better make hay while the snow is falling. Oh, that's opportunity calling you. Jingle bells, ba da ba da Rub your hands, December's here. What a wonderful time to be glad and merry. Just so your mercenary toe. Buy a man and show all the toys, show all the toys up on the shelf. Just make sure that you get a plug, you get a plug in for yourself. A Christmas comes but once a year, so you better cash in while the spirit lingers. It's slipping through your fingers, boy. But don't you realize Christmas can be such a monetary joy? Well, I guess you fellas will never change. Why should we? Christmas has two S's in it, and they're both dollar signs. Yeah, but they weren't there to begin with. Huh? The people keep hoping you'll remember, but you'll never do. Remember what? Whose birthday we're celebrating. Well, uh, <clears throat> don't get me wrong. Uh, the story of Christmas and its simplicity is a good thing. I buy that. 
It's just that we know a good thing when we see it. But don't you realize Christmas has a significance, a meaning? A sales curve. Wake up, Cratchit. It's later than you think. I know, Mr. Scrooge. I know. On the first day of Christmas, the advertising's there. And commercials on a pear tree. Jingle, 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 Dashing through the snow in a 50-foot coupe. O'er the fields we go, sailing all the way. Dick calls with advertising bucks. The use of compromising fa-la-la-la-la. Sentimental, I know, but I just really like it. I am hardly religious. I'd rather break bread with Dawkins than Desmond Tutu, to be honest. And yes, I have all of the usual objections. To consumerism, to the commercialization of an ancient religion, to the westernization of a dead Palestinian press ganged into selling PlayStations and beer. But I still really like it. So, Paul, it's uh, it's that time of year again. Although I gotta say, it's actually earlier than that time of year again. But it seems that when um, this war on Christmas crops up. It starts earlier and earlier. But I've also noticed over the years, because I have to say that in, in many respects, um, I have celebrated the war on Christmas, or at least the war on the war on Christmas, um, much more than I have Christmas uh, <laughs> in my lifetime. And so I'm, I'm very sensitive to it. There definitely seems to be... Years where we see it and years where we don't. But let, before we get into sort of th that part of it, um, tell us, tell us what, what, where this started. Um, because I know that it's been going on for about a decade plus, but, but, but what was the beginning of this? I don't know if anyone has, has located that sort of, uh, um, the, the sort of assassination of the Archduke kind of moment when everything really began to happen. But you're right, it was about 10 years ago, and it was really pushed a lot by uh, by Fox News in particular, um, and Bill O'Reilly, uh, and another, uh, a former Fox News personality named John Gibson, who actually wrote mm -hmm. a book about the war on Christmas. Um, and uh, it, it seemed like as soon as they hit upon this, they, they knew it was gold. Um, uh, mostly from their own perspective as conservative broadcasters, um, because they're able to take something that, uh, you know, take some sort of, some feelings that people had and some um, individual anecdotes that they could talk about and then stir that up into kind of a stew of anger and resentment, which after all is what a lot of conservative media really is fueled by. Um, you know, if you, anyone who has sat through an hour of the O'Reilly Factor or listened to an hour of Rush Limbaugh knows that much of it is about what you're supposed to be mad about that day. And that's how those shows kind of retain their heat. And so this is a perfect example because it puts together a lot of, uh, the, the kind of, the kind of people that their audiences don't like, whether it's, you know, secular people on the coasts or, you know, snooty college professors, um, liberal lawyers, all of those different people you can put together into into the enemies in this war. Um, and the great thing about a war is that it's dramatic. And this is, I think, one of, the, one of the most powerful things about the war on Christmas as an idea. It can take utterly mundane things about your life, whether it's just like going to the department store and turn it into a battle in a war where you can be a hero. 
Um, and I think that's that's why the war on Christmas uh, really persists, even if it's it's just a bunch of sort of disconnected an- anecdotes about about signs in department stores and and nativity scenes in in front of uh, city halls and things like that. And now, in the latest version, the kinds of cups that they are giving out at Starbucks. Yeah, I, I want to get into. Um some of the specifics of of where the, some of the more i guess um i guess the i guess it would be the the, the equivalent of the, the proper metaphor would be like some of the battles some of the uh the most horrendous battles and battlefields that we have seen in this war ongoing and perhaps uh sadly eternal war on uh christmas never ending war on christmas and then then i want to get into what it what, what it may be a surrogate for because it definitely has all of those qualities that you need for a conservative meme right which is um the our way of life is being threatened uh, there's PC going on here. Um, in some way, you have to sort of like question uh, what you do on a daily basis. Because you know, like you say, it's mundane. It goes down. It gets as granular as "How you doing? Happy New Year! <laughs> Happy Holidays!" Like in just in exchanges with people um, that uh, th- that people are walking around with a chip on their shoulder. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the thing that that I argue about this is that when conservative Christians say that uh, you know this is an attack on their way of life, even something as as inconsequential seeming as whether somebody says uh, Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays, there's a sense in which they're right um, that they really have lost their place um, as sort of the the cultural hegemons, if you will. That for most of American history. You know, there were people who weren't Christian, but there was no question that the overwhelming majority of people were Christian. And if you were going to have things like prayer in schools, which we did for much of American history, then of course there were going to be Christian prayers. It's not like somebody was going to come in and, you know, do a, recite a verse from the Quran. Um, uh, it's, it was, uh, just ubiquitous that, that any kind of religious expression was going to be a Christian expression. And then you have, over time, you know, a, a country that gets more and more diverse um, and is also changing its values in ways that feel that conservative Christians feel like are leaving them behind, especially values about things like sexuality and family life. Um, and so they get this increasing sense that that they're that they are being left behind, and that that these things about about our community life, our culture, are uh, they're they're placed at the top of that hierarchy. Which was so so unquestioned that, that it didn't seem to them like there was a hierarchy at all. That is no longer uh, what it used to be. And so when they walk into a department store and see a sign that says "Happy Holidays," which is about just being inclusive, since there are other holidays going on at the same time, um, they suddenly say, "Wait, it's not just about me anymore. It's now about everybody." And so I'm now no longer at the top. I'm equal to the to the other people, whether it's Jews or Muslims or even, heaven forbid, people who don't believe in God at all. Um, and that feels very much like an assault. And so I think that you know we liberals uh, we we laugh about this, of course, because so much of it is very amusing. Um, but I think to a lot of people that it comes from a, from a, a, a sincere place where they really do feel like they're being left behind. And to a great extent, when you t- think about those values. Uh, they are being left behind, and that's that's why they feel it so intensely, and why why they can be a ready audience for this kind of stuff that comes up in conservative media. But let me let me ask you too. I mean, is it are we really just talking about Christian conservatives? I mean, or or, or conservative Christians? I mean, my experience has been that even my in laws, who uh, live in uh, in Michigan, uh, they are not. You know, they're Christian, but they're not particularly, you know, conservative Christians. Like they, these are not people who, um, are, uh, you would, you, you would call Christian when you meet them. And in, in other words, they're not, their lives are not defined by their religion. Their, it is, but, but the Christmas thing, I mean, my experience has been that this, that this, that Merry Christmas is a surrogate for all those things you're talking about. That it's not just a question of, um, when, uh, you know, kids sing, um, uh, songs, uh, holiday songs, uh, at this time of year. It's not just, um, uh, Christian songs anymore. But that in some ways, that this is a surrogate for all that tension about multiculturalism, broadly speaking, that can't really be articulated as comfortably in certain circles. But Christmas is a lot safer 
to articulate. Does that make sense? That this is like a a surrogate in some ways, and one that is that is much easier to say in in mixed company. You might be right about that, that. That you can draw a line between that and issues like immigration and and the increasing diversity of society. And uh, and I think it also just has to do with this sort of natural process of aging that that all of us go through. That when we're older, you know, the world is different than it was when we were young. You know, you always hear people say, "Oh, you know, it was better when I when when I was a kid." You know, and the the real reason is because you were a kid, and the world was is <laughs> simpler when you were a kid. Mm. And uh, then what happens is as you age. You know the, the the sort of uh, the the people who are creating the the culture of the moment are tend to be young people, and so you feel you everyone when they, when they get older feels like the world is changing in ways that they're not too happy about, and they don't like you know today's music and and things like that, um, and they get nostalgic for the way things used to be, um, and so you can see that expressed in a lot of different ways, and it certainly happens um, around issues of multiculturalism because. You know, if, if you walk down to the drugstore and you hear people speaking Spanish and you see signs in Spanish, uh, and that's not the, how it was when you grew up because if, let's say you didn't grow up in New York or Los Angeles or Texas, um, and you're now in one of those places like, let's say, in the Midwest where, where 50 years ago there weren't a lot of immigrants around, but mm. today there are, um, it can feel very alienating, like you're not, uh, at home anymore in what you thought was, was your home. There's a world. We have a voicemail number, 2192-DAVID-P. We finally have heard from the Eggman again. We did have to bleep him as usual, but it's a good voicemail. Take a listen. Hi, Dave. I'm an atheist Jew, and my wife is, I guess, just an atheist. And we've noticed a trend amongst people this holiday season, maybe all of them. We say happy holidays to people. My wife works, um, she serves the public in a federal job, and she says happy holidays, and people get so angry and say, it's Merry Christmas. And they get mad at her. And never, never, never does someone say Merry Christmas to me and my wife where we get angry and say, hey, it's Happy Holidays. Right. So I, I don't understand. Is it just me? I mean, because I notice this at work to a coworkers. You say Happy Holidays to somebody and they get so pissed off if they celebrate Christmas. I've never heard anyone say, hey, mother it's Merry Kwanzaa to me or off. I've never heard anyone get angry at that, you know, or it's Happy Hanukkah, so off, you know. Have you ever heard that? Why do you get so angry if you say happy holidays and Merry Christmas? Yeah, I think there's more reason to get angry if someone assumes you are part of a particular religion than if they don't, right? And when people say happy holidays to me, I say same to you. When they say Merry Christmas to me, I say Happy Hanukkah to them, and that's it. That's yeah. how I deal with it. Oh, these people, I, I mean, I kind of like to call them Christmas Nazis. Right. Uh, you know, it's all about Christmas. Christmas is the national holiday. It's all about Jesus. It's, it's all about, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Christmas Nazis. I've never known the giddy joys of other Christmas girls and boys. I never sat on Santa's knee. I've never tasted Christmas ham or caroled winter wonderland. I'm just not down with Christianity. You see. It's good to be a Jew at Christmas. It's nice to be a Jew this time of year. It's clear that we're the chosen ones. We got eight nights, they got just one. It's good to be a Jew at Christmas. Hey there, welcome to Eggnoggin. I, I mean Life Noggin. It's that time of year again. Little kids writing letters to Santa, leaving him cookies, and waking up to presents underneath the tree on Christmas Day. There is nothing better than a good old-fashioned Christmas tradition. But where did they come from? Well, we got some answers. Let's get started. Number one, 
Christmas trees. Nothing gets me in the Christmas spirit more than putting up a tree every year. Here's mine. Decorating with lights and ornaments is a labor of love, but why do we do this? Well, it has its roots, pun intended, in paganism. Pagans would decorate their houses with evergreen branches during the celebration of Saturnalia, a Roman festival that marked the winter solstice. The idea of decorating trees can even be traced back to ancient Egypt way before the birth of Christ. But it was the Germans that really popularized the Christmas tree. Germans would decorate whole trees with apples, which represented the forbidden fruit from the story of Adam and Eve, and later decorated the tree with nuts and different candies. This German tradition really didn't become a huge hit elsewhere until around the 1840s, when Queen Victoria of England persuaded her German husband to practice the tradition of putting up a Christmas tree in their home. It was featured in a well-known paper, and soon after, tons of wealthy citizens were decorating their homes with this tree. The tradition spread rapidly around the world and became a staple for the celebration of Christmas. But what about the top of the tree? The star on the tree usually represents the star of Bethlehem from the Nativity. If you put an angel on top of the tree, it most likely represents Gabriel, the angel who let Mary know she was pregnant with baby Jesus. But hey, you can put whatever you want on top of your tree because it's your tree. Although it's heavily influenced by Christian beliefs, many people of different faiths decorate their home with the tree. Number two, there is nothing better than a beautiful Christmas tree, except for maybe the presents underneath it. But how did we decide to start exchanging gifts on this holiday? Like the origins of the Christmas tree, gift giving can be traced back to Saturnalia. The festival included children and adults alike giving gifts to one another as a symbol of appreciation and friendship. The celebration of Saturnalia also had people having a ton of orgies, but that's a different kind of giving. In the fourth century, the soon-to-be powerful Church of Rome took on many pagan traditions as a way of attracting more people to the church. This included Saturnalia. And some of its practices, but it really wasn't until the late 18th century where gift giving on Christmas really took off. The iconic Santa Claus, already adopted by America from the Dutch, was used as a marketing tool to get children excited about getting gifts. Stores would market all kinds of toys around Christmas time as a way to boost sales. In 1867, stores like Macy's pushed their hours of operations to midnight so last-minute shoppers could purchase gifts. Leave it to capitalism to transform an entire celebration more than the Church of Rome. And number three, pucker up because here is my favorite Christmas tradition: the mistletoe. The Greeks praised it for its healing properties, and the Celtic Druids loved its ability to outlast the harsh winters. They gave it to humans in hopes that it would aid in fertility. I mean, the mistletoe can even be traced back to Norse mythology. The tradition of kissing underneath the mistletoe has also been linked to the celebration. Of Saturnalia, many people would kiss under the plant at the start of the celebration, and it was said to have healing powers. The mistletoe was also considered a plant of peace in Scandinavia. Enemies would declare a truce under the plant for this reason, and arguing spouses would kiss under the mistletoe to make up. I hope we get caught under the mistletoe. I guess we have to thank a ton of cultures for Christmas. I mean, who knew the holiday was such a mixed bag of traditions? But I want to know what's your favorite Christmas tradition. Mine is wearing a Santa hat and eating a lot of candy canes. Here's a perfect Christmas time. Oh, it's that time of year again—that magical time of year. Not Christmas, not the holidays. It's a magical time for the war on Christmas. In fact,、uh, I'd like to start that war right now. <laughs> All right, let's get it started. War on Christmas. Let's do this, right? <laughs> How does he not get tired of it? He's amazing. So he brings on a psychotherapist. <laughs> To do what and how is she involved in this? And she's an agnostic. So this is what they do, of course. You want to talk about how black people are terrible? You bring out, bring out black people to blame all crime on them. You want to talk about how women ask for too much? You bring on women to say, "Oh, women are asking for too much." So you're going to bash agnostics and atheists. You bring on an agnostic to talk about it. Let's have fun and psychoanalyze. Joining us out from Boston, psychotherapist Karen Ruskin, who is agnostic. I cannot understand for the life of me why anyone would bother trying to diminish the federal holiday of Christmas, Doctor. Why do they do it? 
Here's why. When you feel like you are in the minority, you experience the desire to try and push, to sell your product, if you will, to sell your belief in a loud way to others in order to make yourself feel better, to validate your view, to make sure others hear you. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I mean, have you seen better projection? That's exactly what you guys are doing. We're not pushing Christmas. You're pushing Christmas. That's your product. And I believe Bill O'Reilly is doing it in a loud way. <laughs> and by the way, just to tackle the core of this topic for the 12th year in a row, right? Look, nobody's saying, uh, don't celebrate Christmas. I, I was uh, in New Jersey recently for Thanksgiving, my f uh, family's house there. And I'm jogging by, I see this lovely manger in the, in the yard of someone. And I was like, that looks lovely. Get all of you, get Bill O'Reilly, put giant mangers. Find a gigantic baby Jesus and put it on your yard. It's your private property. You're proud. Do that. Absolutely. It's just when you put it on public land, as an example, right, we say, well, not everybody's Christian. Not everybody believes in the baby Jesus. And you don't own that public land. So you don't get to speak for all of us. But in your house, you know what? Like a floating giant baby Jesus on your roof. Go for it. Have at it, us. We don't mind at all. That's actually the beauty of America. Some countries wouldn't allow you to do that. We do here. Just keep it on your private land because you don't speak for all of us. In fact, you're a minority who's trying to suppress the rest of us by bullying us. No. No, they, they're going to reverse it here. Watch. So your theory is that atheists don't feel very good about themselves because they don't believe in the deity? Well, no. Not all atheists are as nasty as what's happening here. Some atheists have a true belief that there is no God, and they feel very comfortable with that. But there are others who have a very uncomfortable belief about it. They feel the need to push others down, and that's the group that you're seeing here. A group of people all coming together in a gang-like format in order to push other people down. But not all atheists are like that. Why would they say, you know what, this isn't classy, it's not a nice thing to do. Our Christmas traditions, children love them, families get together. Together, gifts are exchanged. It's a series, a season of generosity and goodwill toward men. It almost right. seems, it almost seems sadistic that you would try to hammer down something like that. Isn't that so sad? <laughs> yes, it's the atheists who are so sadistic and say, "Let us form," as she said, a gang-like format. And, and suppress the Christians. <laughs> you goofballs, man. We don't care at all. You want to pray to Santa? Have at it, Oz. By the way, was Santa in Exodus or Leviticus? I forget. Okay. Anyway, he's going to come down your chimney just like in the New Testament. Or was it the Old Testament? <laughs> like the Easter Bunny did as he laid eggs in, what was it? Deuteronomy? Anyway, you want to celebrate these lovely traditions? I find them lovely, too. Santa's, you know, a wonderful guy. He gives out presidency. He doesn't cause wars. He's a great guy. But don't pretend that we're the ones oppressing you when you say, Everybody say Christmas! Say Merry Christmas! Say it! Say it! You see how those minorities are oppressing me? <laughs> God, man, and every year his audience eats it up. They're like, mm, this part of Christmas tradition. Oh, yes, Bill. I hate that. Atheist. You know what? They don't respect the deity. Yes, I know that it's Christmas. It's very special to you. But there are other winter holidays. I'm just including them too. But it's all about you. There is no We didn't, haven't even talked about the mass surveillance apparatus that is the Elf on the Shelf. Oh, yeah. Or if our listener parents are doing Elf on the Shelf with your kids, which if you are, that's totally cool because it is really adorable. My co-worker was telling me about her, her friend who's a mom who's like, you make the Elf like, you can make it so like the Elf eats like the kid's cereal in the morning. Like, you make it look like the Elf is like doing mischief around the house. But also the Elf can see you at all times and 
snitches you out to Santa Claus if you're bad. Is I, so I don't really know what this is. Yeah. So is it an actual product or is it just a thing that parents have decided we're going to put this thing like a little stuffed elf and we'll we'll all call it the elf on the shelf. No, it's a product and whoever I, the 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 the, the parent I think it's a, like really invented by like a parent who started that who did exactly what you described and was like, "We'll put an elf on the shelf. Mm-hmm. Tell it the children it's spying on the children." And then uh-huh. I think they made it into a product like a, he's a little guy, he little elf when it comes to the storybook. The elf comes in different races, maybe in different genders, but I'm not sure about that. And as far as I understand, the premise is he, you put him around the house, and and the kids don't know where he he can move around. So the the idea is that he can see you wherever you go. Yeah, Santa's already obviously a spy. He he can see you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. All that, but he knows been better good. But um, the elf on the shelf is like Santa's personal snitch in your house. Um, and so the, the parent's job is to like move him around, make it look like he's been like up to mischief around the house, apparently. And that part, I think, is actually totally cute. Like, you can make it... Um, yeah, like my coworker is saying, like, you can make him, like, so that the kids wake up in the morning and there's, like, a little trail of cereal, like, leading to the cabinet and then the elf's face is in the cereal or whatever. Um, That's kind of fun. Yeah, I think, I think like, if That's I was a parent... <laughs> <laughs> if I was a parent, I would definitely be, like, having a little, like, a little person, like setting up little scenarios like around the house to like see what the elf did. That part sounds totally fun. But it's not actually like a nanny cam. It's not a camera. No, that that the the spying is is a lie. It, it, well, it's in our imaginations. That's uh-huh. what I was going to say. Uh-huh. To each their own. It's not a nanny cam. No, but it's just a little. It's just a little kind of third person omniscient elf who can see everything and report back to Santa. So he's like an asset. Yeah. Like if if Santa is the CIA, yeah. The elf is the asset. Yeah. The elf is the is the is the hired goon. Yeah. So definitely not elf shaming any parents who are elf on the shelfing with their kids because uh-huh. also I imagine that there's like a decent amount of social pressure to do it because it's like super popular right now like, like all the kids have them. Like tickle me elmo. Yeah, exactly. Like even at my school the kids have them like in their classrooms. And that I would be more like I think that would be pretty fun as a teacher because sometimes when you're a teacher, you do need an extra set of eyes. And even mm-hmm. if that eye, those eyes are the eyes of an inanimate object slash elf, it might actually be really helpful. Yeah, you want the unblinking eye of Sora <laughs> in the form of an elf. So not elf shaming any parents, but the problem with the elf, of course, and this is being written about now, but we talked about this, uh, I think, maybe last year, probably not on the show, but just in a real conversation. Uh, the problem with the elf is that He's, I mean, it's a, it's a mass surveillance thing, right? Like, mm-hmm. like, the idea is that you can't escape surveillance. <laughs> and even if he's not in the room with you, he might be. You don't know where he is. Much like, you know, bulk data collection. You don't know if your emails are being swept up, but they could be, which is why it changes your behavior. So that's the premise of Elf on the Shelf, basically. Yeah, Elf the Panopticon. Elfie the Panopticon, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, again, it's not, it's nothing new really because that's already the premise of Santa Claus. He can see you, whatever you do, you better be good, otherwise you won't get any material goods. But it's, it, it's bribery. <laughs> it's, it's bribery and surveillance. Uh, these are as old as Christmas itself, but, uh-huh. I mean, not really, but as old as American consumer Christmas, at least. But from a behavior perspective, I feel like it's really like, <laughs> it's really not the way, the, the ideal way to teach good behavior, in my opinion. The reason for good behavior shouldn't be because somebody can can spy on you and take away your shit. The reason for good behavior should be like a kind of internal morality of like wanting to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. External, and that's why dis- discipline discipline sh- shouldn't be punitive for the sake of like there is an external consequence that is not about teaching you something, but is about showing you that there are consequences. The best forms of discipline are about kind of immediate consequences that illustrate to you like your your behavior has meaning and purpose, and you can do good things with yourself, and there will be immediate benefits to that and long-term benefits to that and you can do bad things and there will be immediate consequences to that and the reason that you behave well is again because of an internal value system right because you want to behave well not because you're scared of being punished right not because you're right exactly and and i think my one of my issues with the elf in addition to the mass surveillance is that i'm not sure that it is the ultimate way to teach behavior but at the same time i have no idea what it's like to be a parent or somebody 
solely responsible for maintaining good behavior in children, especially in the month of December when many children are a little bit bouncy and Uh and excited and difficult uh, to rear. So, you know, if it's a, if it's a nice shortcut or a nice, um, fun thing, that for families to do, I'm not trying to, to complain on that. But I am skeptical of Elf on the Shelf. Is the popularity driven by kids or is it driven by parents? It's a good question. I have no idea. Because if it's, if it's driven by kids, that to me is a sort of more interesting phenomenon. The kids are like, surveil me. Yeah. <laughs> the kids are like, it's hilarious to be surveilled. And in some ways, if it's driven by the kids, it almost takes a little bit of the possible... Like it takes it takes away a little bit of my criticism because they're like, consenting to being surveilled. Yeah, and and it sort of feels more like a game if the kids are like, you know, let's bring this snitch intruder into the house, <laughs> and and then it'll be a fun Christmas tradition. It's a fun game that the whole family plays together. Yeah, something about that feels much less invasive mm-hmm. and uh, controlling than if it's if this is something that parents have kind of all decided is a great behavior tool. Uh-huh. So let's. Let's drive it as parents. Yeah. And uh, I know you're not, the kids aren't allowed to touch the elf because I guess if they can touch the elf, they can move it and, you know, <laughs> bury it in the closet where it can't see them. <laughs> so, I mean, they can shiv it, <laughs> which is what happens to snitches. So you're not allowed to touch the elf. And if you do touch the elf, I think that there are like dire, you're told that there are like dire consequences. <laughs> so I think it might, I mean, I think that. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure to, to what extent it's like a mutually pleasant thing for children or if it's actually like a kind of like kind of scary behavior modification tool. I'm not I really have no idea. And and the the is the elf what is the elf's expression? Frozen ghastly smile. <laughs> yeah. Just kidding. It's not ghastly, but it is a smile. Okay. I don't know if it would be creepier if it was like a demon elf or if it's creepier if like that the happy surveillance Guard. You want, it would be creepier if he had like a neutral face and he was just staring at you. <laughs> yeah, just like you do whatever you want to do. It doesn't affect me one way or the other. Let me see if I can show you a Google image of him. Yeah, he's a little terrifying. He's hey, cute. Let's see. He's cute. He's got a little. He looks like um a little elf in like a claymation of uh, Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. Yeah, exactly. He's yeah. fine. I don't know if, about this. I want to hear from parents about this because yeah. like I, I'm not I'm not a parent. I have no idea, but. There, like, there have been a number of articles written this year about how this is a tool. Of, this is an extension of surveillance, basically. I have not followed any of the Elf on the Shelf, and and for a while I thought that it actually was a like nanny cam thing. <laughs> that would be that would be sort of it's terrifying. The, it's the power of suggestion. It's a it's a panopticon nanny cam with the addition helpful addition of children's imaginations, right? Where there doesn't have to have to actually be any actual surveillance. Just the premise that this elf can see you is that surveillance enough, right? Well. So let's take one step back from this and say if we find Elf on the Shelf to be sort of at least potentially creepy, Uh then isn't, I mean, isn't it the exact same premise of uh, an omniscient god? Sure. So, right. So I think many children are already growing up with that God can see you, whatever you do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that. You know, at that point, you start getting into the Plato's philosophical discussions of do you do like what is morality? Is morality right. do you do something good because it's good, or do you do something good because God says it's good? That's a great question, and 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 a great deal of morality as it relates to religion and religion's role in people's lives throughout history is you do good because God can see you and will judge you and doing good will get you into heaven and all of that, right? Yeah, and and I mean, what is, at least in Christianity, what is religious iconography other than Christ on the shelf? <laughs> Essentially, right? Yeah, no, you've got, you've got a very good point. You're being reminded that, that God <laughs> is everywhere and you can try to shove God in the closet yeah. and bury God under a bunch of towels, Yeah, but and, that's... And, it's That's not going to do anything. Elf on the Shelf is certainly, I would say, not as bad as like telling children that like they'll go blind if they masturbate and all that <laughs> right. stuff. You know. <laughs> yeah, that I mean that is far far more uh, damaging. So, 
I think that it does feel a little bit weird, but it, we should make sure that we aren't sort of reactionaries about saying like this is some new, this is a new development. Yes, like, that's a very the, good point. The the threat of invisible surveillance, as you said, it obviously goes to Santa Claus, but perhaps but even more Santa, profoundly yeah. goes to God. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That is a great point. I wish I could stay. Baby, it's cold outside. Got to go away. Baby, it's cold outside. The evening is busy. So glad you stopped so in. very nice. Be careful driving on the ice. If I did spend the night. Saying yes is your right. People would call me a whore. Can't they see you're so much more? If I went home, they trust If you say no, it's all right. Call me a Generals are such a chore Be who you want to be You and I shouldn't dream Fuck the patriarchy I wish I could break It's such a shame This double bind They see your body, not your mind Supposed to say no, 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 Want sir. me to call a chauffeur supposed to say that I tried Either way, it's yours to decide I can't stay Baby, that's okay Now, yeah, but it's cold Outside. Folks, the battle is on in the war on Christmas. And, you know, as part of that, of course, we have posted the um, one of my favorite appearances on television on CNN uh, probably a decade ago now, when in the early stages, when there was just we just had military advisors uh, embedded in the war on Christmas and were secretly bombing. Uh, parts of the North Pole, and um, you know we had uh, special ops uh, infiltrating phase one. Yeah, teams of elves uh, at that time. Um, but uh, and we have that on our uh, YouTube channel. But uh, ladies and gentlemen, not the invasion, not the full-on invasion of the war and the war on Christmas. The a group of House Republicans have fired the latest shot in the war on Christmas. Representative Doug Lamborn from Colorado has introduced uh, a resolution. <laughs> and I, I just, uh, one of these guys going to buck up and actually just force us all to celebrate Christmas. The resolution apparently is like one of those um, sense of the house resolutions that would, quote, say that the um, U.S. Congress recognized that the symbols and traditions of Christmas should be protected for use by those who celebrate Christmas. Now, we all know that those symbols and traditions are being threatened at their very core. You may not be able to go into your favorite department store and have the greeter there say, Merry Christmas. They may just say, Happy Holidays, or Can I get you a cart? The resolution goes on to say that the U.S. House of Representatives strongly disapproves of attempts to ban references to Christmas and expresses support for the use of these symbols and traditions by, like I say, those who celebrate Christmas. I don't know where this banning reference to Christmas happens other than in my household, ladies and gentlemen. And in a 15-foot radius of where I walk, if you enter into my personal space, the, one of the first things I do at this time of year is demand a fealty to the banning of all Christmas symbols and references. So if I get somebody who, let's say, says, Merry Christmas, I'll go up to him and I'll get into their grill and I'll be like, no, not to me, buddy. I see like a bunch of like bodega guys. Well, fuck you, man. Whatever. Right. And no. And if I, but if I walk by somebody and I hear like a little kid talking to his mom saying, this is what I want for Christmas. And it's within my circle of influence. I will go up to the kid and go knock it off. It's awkward. And I'll tell you something. I know the right has made a big issue about Starbucks taking the snowflakes off their coffees and just having red. But 
if I see someone walking around with a coffee cup that is Christmas themed, I just go right up. I smack it out of their hands. And there's a certain percentage of times where that will scald them. It's war. But it's war. Freedom isn't free. Freedom is not free. Now, I will be fair enough to go say, like, after I scald them with that coffee, I will say, freedom is not free. And if you, if you want another cup of coffee, I'm willing to pay for it. It's just going to be in my own Hanukkah-themed cup. Right. That I carry around. Bunch of menorahs. You, ske- you don't just sketch it on with them? No, no. I, have, I, walk around, I walk around this time of season with three different sizes of cups. I got a 12-ounce, a 16-ounce, a 20-ounce cup. Uh, Hanukkah-themed. I have the Mecca line. That's <laughs> there all, you go. All mosques and minarets so, on mine. But good for the House Republicans because if they weren't waging this war, who would I be waging this war against? Nothing more sad than watching a lonely warrior on the battlefield just shadow fighting himself. We just heard clips featuring the Young Turks covering the Starbucks Cupgate, David Pakman on the promise that Donald Trump will win the war on Christmas, a classic from Stan Freeberg on the profits to be had during the holidays. Sam Cedar, during his hosting gig on Ring of Fire Radio, had a surprisingly sober discussion of the psychology of the war on Christmas warriors. David Pakman took a call about how angry some people get when they are wished happy holidays. Life Noggin explained some Christmas traditions. The Young Turks laughed along while Bill O'Reilly and a guest tried to understand the devious inner workings of the gangs of atheists fighting to destroy Christmas. Radio Dispatch explored the mass surveillance system of the Elf on the Shelf. And finally, Sam Cedar, back at home on the Majority Report, rejoiced in the knowledge that the U.S. Congress had stepped up to take sides on the war on Christmas. You can find links to each of these segments in the show notes for easy reference and sharing. No voicemails today, but if you would like to call in to be included on a future episode, simply record a message at 202-999-3991. Today, I have some holiday-themed thoughts for you. I don't know if you're aware of this, but around this time of year, starting a little before Thanksgiving, liberal shows and I'm sure elsewhere, progressives and liberals start having a conversation amongst themselves about how to deal with the stresses of going home and dealing with your conservative family members. And not everyone is blessed to have like-minded families who get along politically, at least. And the holidays bring people together who might not otherwise hang out. And unfortunately, you know, people start talking about the news or worst case scenario, you go to a family member and they, they insist that they turn on Fox News and it devolves pretty quickly from there. So a lot of times liberals joke about this and just sort of vent their frustration. But other times they give like genuine advice, like how to deal with the stress. You know, the stress is real. You got to go and it can be tough to deal with. One piece of advice I heard this year that, that sticks in my mind is, is the idea that you should have a like a text message buddy, someone who you can vent your frustrations to, you know, you like go lock yourself in the bathroom or something, text, oh, you'll never believe what my idiot uncle said now. And you can get a response from your buddy who's maybe in this similar position. And that's how you vent your frustration so that you can avoid blowing up in frustration and anger at your family member and destroying the holiday for everyone. So, that definitely happens among liberals, and I think it's a perfectly reasonable conversation to have, but it got me thinking, I wonder if there's any chance that conservatives have any kind of a similar conversation. Like, what would that look like? You know, your, your conservative uncle, is he like sitting at home before the holidays stressing about, oh man, my liberal niece and nephew, like, man, they're so understanding and uh, they don't hate 
any of the right people that they're supposed to hate and they don't even think that we should be in perpetual war, it's really tough to be around them. It's just so frustrating to be around people who, uh, who, who are so open-minded and non-hateful. Um, like what kind of a coping mechanism would a person like that have to have? So thinking along these lines a couple of weeks ago, I, uh, I, I thought, well, I should ask. And I basically only know one conservative. So I emailed Wade and asked him this question. And this is the response I got. He said, you know, in part, he said, yeah, pretty much the same kind of stuff, but in reverse, obviously. You have to remember that as much as Trump flabbergasts the left, transgendered issues do the same for us. But with the right, we usually don't care if we offend. So the advice is generally more, shall we say, straightforward. And to be clear, I'm not, I'm not reading that to shame Wade. I, I, I think it's pretty much true what he's saying and, uh, you know, sort of indicative of the mindset of conservatives. So, you know, in, in the spirit of the holidays and having a little bit more empathy and a little bit more understanding, I would encourage us all to recognize that, you know, maybe you're fearing for the, the obvious creeping fascism that is uh, bubbling to the surface in the GOP primary race. Maybe you fear for the lives and livelihoods of maybe yourself, maybe your friends or, or members of your community. Maybe you think uh, all the Muslims are going to get rounded up or deported. Um, maybe you fear that hatred is bubbling up against anyone with uh, more than a slight tan in America and there will be hate crimes committed from coast to coast. Yeah, maybe you have concerns about that, but you have to remember, as worried as you may be about creeping fascism, that's exactly how worried your conservative family members are about the existence of trans people. I mean, that's got to be rough because trans people exist and they're not going anywhere. So that's got to be pretty stressful for them. So, you know, the, the problem is that they fear a lot of things they don't understand. And there are a lot of things that they don't understand. And, you know, as a wise Muppet once said, fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, and hate leads to suffering. So while you and I may be concerned about you know, a Muslim person, maybe maybe just a Sikh person, maybe an Indian person being mistaken for having a slightly too brown a skin and being, you know, beaten or murdered. Like we may have concerns over the suffering of people like that, but all the while our conservative family members are themselves suffering because of the existence of things and people that they don't understand. That's got to be pretty tough for them. So if you're spending the holidays with right-wing, bigoted family members who say hateful things on a regular basis, you know, when they do that and, you know, they start talking about how they want to turn the Middle East to glass, maybe, maybe go over, give them a hug, pet their head a little bit, tell them it's going to be okay. Cause the thing is, they're terrified and they're suffering inside. So maybe what they need is just to be shown the statistics of the incredibly, incredibly remote chances that they will ever be adversely impacted by a terrorist attack or the existence of transgender people or the fact that gay marriage is now legal or anything else that they may be terrified of. Today is the last new episode of the year. And uh, in the last episode, I said that there were, uh, that we needed 15 more signups, uh, membership signups to reach our goal before the end of the year and the holidays and all of that. Uh, I, I don't have an update for you on that because only like an hour has passed in my world since I said the thing about needing 15 more signups. So either we had a Christmas miracle and we made it to our goal or we haven't yet, but we're going to. But in, in any case, I'll let you know how that all turns out uh, in the new year. There are a couple of rerun episodes coming up, so I hope you enjoy those. But that is going to be it for today. 
and for the year. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to those who have already supported the show through the years by becoming a member or making one-time donations, as that is absolutely how the program survives. Of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it and leaving glowing reviews on iTunes and Stitcher. Get even more from us by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all of the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information can always be found in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway, yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you every Tuesday and Friday, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Started up with that stuff